Just a quick note before today's show. While we have transformed our entire platform to respond to the ongoing crisis, increasing our production of both podcast episodes and blogs, we cannot continue without your support. Please consider making a donation or contributing as a volunteer to support our active engagement at this critical time. today is an immigration lawyer based in Sydney, Australia, and we're going to be talking about an element of the crisis that, as is so common with many of our episodes, has gone underreported and undernoticed, but there are, in fact, very large numbers of Myanmar people who are not only internally displaced persons or are not only refugees, but maybe Myanmar people who exist overseas on a visa, whether it's a tourist visa or a student visa, uh, and they have difficulty uh, finding legal protections and legal standing. So, um, thank you very much for for joining us, Coco uh, Aung. Could you introduce yourself for our audience? Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, my name is Coco Aung, and I'm a, a practicing solicitor in New South Wales. Uh, I've been specializing in immigration and refugee law ever since I started practicing. Uh, I'm actually born and raised in Yangon, and uh, my parents are from Nyek, the southern part of Myanmar. I moved here when I was six, 16, 16 and a half, uh, and yeah, uh, a bit of introduction, a bit of background about my family. My family is, you can say, like a middle-class family, like like a uh just running a family business uh because we are from southern part of Myanmar so uh, we sell fish products like ngapi ngandiaye uh, the fish paste and uh, fish sauce trading uh, across Myanmar and i have two elder brothers uh but they are not really interested in study so they went straight to my family business actually i have to say thank you to them because uh, if they don't, if they don't join the family business, I will have to be the one who have to join the family business. Even though I, I'm I'm okay with that, but I wouldn't be where I am uh, without their support. Um, yeah. Um, politics is Burmese politics is not something that we usually talk about in the family, uh, because uh, we our family had a fair share of bad experience. Uh, during 1988, where my brothers have to skip, uh, had to skip schools for two years, 
because of the revolution, and and then also uh, my my aunt's sister and her family had to flee to Australia because of their involvement. So yes, that's yeah, that's something a little bit with the politics. <laughs> And uh, I also never had any interest in studying law when I was in Myanmar. Actually, it was very discouraged within my family, friends, and even the teachers. Uh, like, it's, it's actually like my my parents and my teachers are always talking to me to go into medicine or, or you know, for engineering, but never ever <laughs> raise a word about uh, going to uh, legal studies. Yeah, so maybe it's also because legal and political career is not regarded highly within our community, uh, within my family cycle. And before I moved to Australia, I actually, um, I actually wanted to um, study in Canada. Uh, but yeah, uh, my visa got rejected. I think it was when I was uh, 14 years old. Uh, got rejected because uh, the uh, embassy in Thailand, the Canadian embassy in Thailand say, oh, you know, we do not think you have enough finances to cover your high school. And then they actually set it out that, hey, you know, uh, because you're holding a Myanmar passport, you know, uh, uh, we we uh, we look into more, uh, we, we want more information, more evidence about your finances and everything, even though my, I have a, um, um, a relative, my, my mom, another sister uh, in Canada who is willing to help me, help us with all the fundings and everything. But yeah, it didn't go through. But yeah, um, there's also 2007 Saffron Revolution. Um, I was, that's one little incident encounter that I, I had when I was 13 years old. That, that one day, I think it's around two o'clock. Um, I still remember this uh, because it, it is, it, it just stick with me forever. It's um, one day I was walking from my uh, teacher's uh, house to mine uh, during the revolution. And on the way, I got mixed up with the protesters. And I still remember the security forces rounded, rounded up and started asking questions, use a little bit of force here and there. And when everything is cooled down, they start taking the names and, and uh, one of the security officers, I got beat, beat up a bit. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, uh, one of the security officer who knew my dad noticed me from the crowd and dragged me out of the crowd. Uh, and yeah, and thanks to him, I was not being sent to any undisclosed location or for interrogation or anything but it was pretty pretty tough period at that time like for 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 a person who is like still under still under 18 years old to 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 uh, to be uh yeah to 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 encounter this situation but anyway uh fast forward um in 2011 when i was 16 and a half 17 years old or uh, i came to australia to pursue my uh, further studies like like I say, I first I wanted to study engineering. It's not what I wanted, but you know, like it's it's actually 
uh, preset into your <laughs> uh, career planning and all that from my parents to do engineering. But but um, after a year of studies, I actually changed it to um, double degree, like engineering and law, because I also don't want my dad, because my dad uh, really wants me to study engineering. So I, I also uh, fulfill his uh, desires uh, uh, because not every uh, I have three brothers and my two brothers are not uh, interested in academics so my, my my dad really wants me to excel in, in in my studies academics so I want to do I wanted to do something for him and I also wanted to do something in, for myself as well for law yeah but the reason why I choose to study law is also because at that time, 2011-2012, Burmese, Myanmar politics landscape has been changing. And I also had a chance to learn more about Myanmar politics from my friends here and also the news outlet. It was very different because back home, before I came to Australia, there was no such thing as freedom of expression or speech. So it's, everything is very censored. But yeah, here I have to learn a lot. Uh, it's, it's an eye-opener. Even like studying law was very challenging for me um, during my first and second years. I've never learned anything relating to legal studies or anything ingrained into us during high school, even though it is very different in Australia where you can actually choose legal studies as um, one of the subjects in your secondary in high school, which is very different. And yeah, and uh, engineering was actually very, uh, not very, but relatively quite easy to handle for me as it's always about critical thinking and uh, calculation. I'm not saying that law does not have a critical thinking as well, but uh, I was used to uh, mathematical problems and all that. Uh, I still remember uh, I barely passed my first year for my law school while getting relatively high marks for engineering subjects. Uh, it was a shock to see, you know, like during the exam when everybody at law school, they are just writing pages and pages as, uh, uh, of answers to one exam question uh, where I'm only prepared to write like a one page maximum uh, uh, during my uh, law school exams. But yeah, um, during my second and third year of university, uh, I had a chance to work with uh, one of the professors at the UNSW Law School. Her name is Melissa Crouch. Uh, uh, I, I translated uh, uh, her with a lot of constitutional texts from Myanmar to English for her books. And I also had a chance to do a few internships at Baker McKenzie office in Yangon, at that time predominantly focusing on intellectual property. And yeah, and before finishing my law school, uh, I had a chance to volunteer at HIV AIDS Legal Center, HIV AIDS Legal Center, and also Caldor Center for Refugee Law. From this organization, I had to work on both policy and practical side of the refugee cases. I, uh, I was being in charge with um, updating fact sheets for Rohingya uh, situation and also uh, most of the cases that I, I help uh, for the lawyers at HIV AIDS legal clinics, and some of the cases are 
from Rohingya uh, background. So yeah, that that's where I my my interest in uh, immigration law started to blossom. And after finishing law school, I went straight to practicing immigration. I didn't even think consider about joining clerkship or like my all my other friends and law school did. I I I was very hard on, and I was I I I knew it already that I uh, I want to do immigration law uh, from ever since I finished my law school. And yeah, in twenty twenty one, the coup happened. February, the coup happened, and I feel the there's a feeling of responsibility just hit me. That is like I would like to help affected people with what I know. And and along the way, I also want to learn more from the from the people that I'm helping with because um, learning is not just about law; it's it's about everything. You know, uh, about not just about your career, your life, people experience, and all that. And 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 that's why um, I reached out to NUG, uh, sorry, Seattle uh, and also Myanmar Student Association. Uh, uh, that association was quite active in the early days of after the coup happened. Still remember my my phone kept ringing day and night from people here and overseas. This is also that also the time where Australian government has closed their borders due to COVID, even for those who already have a visa to enter Australia. But Australian government doesn't allow people to come back in. You have to apply for. A, specific travel exemption permit, mostly on the ground that if you're working for a critical health sector or hospitality sector, or for those who, are, who have an Australian or Australian citizen or permanent resident, family members in Australia, etc., these, these people may have a chance to come back to Australia. But for those people who are trying to flee Myanmar due to coup, the government or maybe the assessing authority for the travel exemption uh, do not see it as a very compelling thing uh, at that time. So yeah, I also uh, did like a fact sheet or a guide on how to seek protection in Australia, how to apply for offshore refugee visas, how to submit a travel exemption with the assistance from my friends at the Myanmar Student Association. Yeah, we, we did fact sheet, guidebook, and the uh, as a as an advisor from immigration perspective to NUG, I also held like an information webinar, basically answering all the questions Myanmar passport holder have in terms of the passport issue, immigration related issues, and etc. So after finishing my day job uh, offline, I've been helping answering individuals from the Myanmar community with their visa questions and help them submit their own application fully or partly pro bono. And yeah, and apart from Myanmar crisis, when the Afghan fell to Taliban, I also volunteer as a triage supervisor at Asylum Seeker Resource Center in Melbourne, as they created like a specific legal clinic at that time. And we managed to submit a total of 800 applications, visa applications during its eight months existence. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's who I am uh, in terms of what I do and how I've been helping Burmese community with, it, um, uh, with 
uh, with from the immigration perspective. Excellent. That's that's quite um, comprehensive and overview there. So let's get into the meat of it because the Australian government's history with refugees has probably given you a lot of different types of experiences to to work with. So let's try to be a little bit I don't know systematic and break up the the Myanmar people here. So the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are basically four categories. Um, you've got people within Myanmar, people outside Myanmar, people who are displaced, people who are not. So we would have Myanmar people who are here in the West on a visa, but that visa will expire. Myanmar people who are living in foreign countries as refugees without a visa. Myanmar people who are within Myanmar and have been internally displaced. And Myanmar people within Myanmar who have not been internally displaced, who are applying for uh, a visa. Would those be the four categories as far as immigration law sees them? Yes, uh, yeah, I could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Okay, so, so, so let's then start with um, the ones who are in Myanmar who have not become internally displaced, but who are trying to apply for a visa so that they can escape, you know, the potential of warfare. Who who want to escape the dictatorship? They want to escape the economic hardships. What chances do they have currently to get a visa to a Western country? Yeah. Uh... Cannot comment on other countries, but in terms of Australia, um, it is a very challenging um, moment. Uh, it has been quite challenging for those who wants to come here on a student visa, uh, or just even to visit a family member, or just want a holiday uh, in Australia from Myanmar, uh, because um, the case officers are quite. Um, Focusing, uh, not quite the the case. Officers focus a lot on the current economy and political landscape in Myanmar, and basically, uh, from the forum or from my experience, from from my other colleagues' experience, from my friends' experience, I could say that eight out of ten applications of these applications are getting a failure, a rejection. Um. Sometimes case officers are very generous in explaining why they refuse. Uh, um, that that that's for those type of cases. It's good to learn. Uh, get to we got to know where their decision making process is coming from, um, so that you know when we try it again, uh, try again, or maybe try again for other visa applicants. It's actually give us a idea of. What to expect, or how we can, how we can change the way we do things, but mostly case officers are very, very. They don't uh, very difficult. Uh, they don't really give us any reasons. They just they because in, in in the rule of law, um, every case has to be assessed on their own merits, but uh, for the Burmese situation. And for the Myanmar people, uh, everybody has been generalized, and even though if you submit a crazy number of documents to the government, case officer don't tend to look at everything that you are submitting. And maybe they they may have, but uh, they don't put it on their decision. They just uh, they just quickly uh make the refusalization based on the country's profile, not the individual characteristic of the applications. That's that's where uh, 
I feel a little bit. I I feel very concerned. Uh, not not a little bit because, um. Yes, our our country is in a turmoil. Um, uh, things are not that. Things are not getting better yet, but the thing is, uh, I think it's for almost every part of the world at the moment. Uh, even Myanmar has a lot to offer as well uh, for Australian community, and also uh, uh, I I wouldn't Australia is famous for its multiculturalism and also uh, accepting overseas students. The the education system is is uh, one of the top in the world. So our, our country uh, have a lot of talented, young, skilled individuals, students that want to further their studies. And, and they, I don't want them to, you know, like, uh, not saying discriminate, but, you know, uh, please uh, allow them to give, it, give them a chance to study here and show them, uh, show them their values, you know. Because the the students are also you know like not that um, their focus is not only on Australia as well. If they can, they 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 also want to. If if Australia is shutting their borders for Myanmar, they they may also go to Canada, U.S. But the thing is, is uh, Australia still is the best attraction for students because it's not that far. Uh, compared to UK or US, which is the another part of the world, Australia is still in Asia Pacific, so uh, it is, it is uh, uh, in terms of distance, it is um, quite accessible, and also uh, not comment. I cannot com- give comment on Tasmania or South Australia or etc. But um, in terms of Western Australia, Perth, Sydney, even in Canberra, uh, um, or Melbourne. Burmese community here has been getting bigger and bigger and uh, people have been very, I, I can see that people are uniting and, and in terms of the commu- uh, feeling, in terms of those students who are missing home, it's actually give them a closeness, closeness which, which is a little bit rare for me uh, when I was uh, back in my own university life. Uh, I still remember we are the one who started a Myanmar Student Association in UNSW, and even that group has been like doing really well, um, uh, creating so many events, um, activities for, uh, for for Myanmar students, uh, uh, newbies and uh, existing students, and even alumni. Uh, so, but then the thing is, the amount of students coming from Myanmar, which we compare to other, uh, even countries from Southeast Asia like Thailand or, or, or Malaysia or Indonesia, uh, our population is, is very low in terms of statistical wise. So, but I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but since 2021 until now, uh, the, the refusal rate is too high, which, which uh, doesn't sit well with me because it actually blocked the career progression and of our younger generation, and, uh, but uh, yeah, actually, we recently uh, um, published not not we uh, ABC recently published an article about uh, uh, Myanmar visitor visa being denied without without looking at every documents that visa applicants give to the office. Uh, it was released yesterday. It it 
it talks about you know like accountability uh, of the case officer you know like for example if the lawyers make mistakes or uh, in their submission you know uh, we yeah, our clients don't like it uh, that's a duty to our clients and also to 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 the administration of the law uh, we have so much responsibility I, and a case officer i understand they have a thousand thousands and thousands of these applications that they have to process but i at least want them to give some time they take a lot of time to process the our visa application as well uh, so just uh, better decision making process from the government and 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 i would like the case officer to consider you know uh, all the documents and each case by case not just purely straight away for refusing our applications on uh, how our country landscape is at the moment so let's let's talk about this then so you, the, the picture you're painting is quite a negative uh, picture as it stands so you're saying that we have people in a situation where you and I definitely understand the, the context in Myanmar, but immigration might not. So would would immigration at the very least be aware that people from Myanmar who are making applications are making applications either from a conflict zone or from a region that is adjacent to a conflict zone where things like electricity, fuel, and even food supply are unreliable? Is this being taken into consideration? No, it's not. They just they just mentioned Myanmar as a whole. Well, and that that is where my concern is. Like you need to, it would be great for case officers to dissect. Uh, not just focusing a lot on. Uh, I'm not even sure that they are even looking at the country information like defect report and and etc. I, I don't know, uh, because. The decisions are like, oh, you know, uh, because of your, uh, because of the country's economy and political, uh, instable, insta- not being stable, uh, we are not convinced that you will be a genuine, vis- uh, you will be a genuine visitor. Uh, we are not, we are not, we are, we, we're not sure that you will be a, a genuine student. Uh, uh, and even though, those students have to pay, because in order to apply for a student visa, you need to first enroll uh, in uh, university of colleges in Australia, and you cannot enroll just for free. You have to pay a certain amount, even though if it is not a full amount, uh, that you have to pay first in order for the universities and colleges to issue you with a confirmation of enrollment, COE letter, in order to be able to apply for a student visa. So. Some of the students that I've seen, like my friends, uh, brothers and sisters, um, they'll be like, oh, you know, they are also going to a university in, AN, uh, in Canberra, ANU, or New South Wales universities, or Sydney, or UTS, or Western Sydney, all these top eight universities that Australian government has uh, named it as top eight. Uh, uh, the, the policy says that or if you are going to a top eight university, the student visa, that student visa application have to be streamlined. Streamlined as in like not a lot of evidence have to be provided, like bank statements. And I still remember like my parents have to show a lot of asset and everything. It was crazy compared to other other student visa applicants from other countries who, who does not have to show that amount of uh, uh, financial capability or 
or writing a two pages paragraph about what I will do after I finish my studies. Do I have a reason to go home? You know, well, these are the things that we have to provide. It's a lot. So the thing is, the students have already paid like twenty percent, thirty percent, or even half of the enrollment, half of the like uh, first semester fees or something, and then. Well, in order for them to be able to apply for a student visa, the one the case officer refused it. That's also another thing that they have to do, like uh, either uh, try to withdraw the amount that they have already paid or some school or university say like, hey, we are not going to refund. Or, or These are a lot of consequences that people have to face that government case officer may not be thinking. And, you know, uh, and... And and uh, trying to study in a top eight university is not 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 really a. It, it's it's a big ask, like in terms of finances and everything, you know. So if they are really worried about it, uh, that students will even continue to study and all that, uh, look at the file, you know, like uh, please uh, consider every single document for them to generate, and and, and as you have pointed out, right, um, uh, like. If you are applying from like a Yangon or Mandalay or uh, uh, where you are applying from, these are the also uh, these are the things that they should be considering. And and one of the type of evidence that people visa applicants also provide is their parents' business and uh, ownership of property, asset, and etc. And then and then it's, uh, it's it's funny because case officer even if you provide that. Some case officers say that you can just sell them off. Okay, um, you can just sell your property. You can just change your ownership to another person as soon as you come here on a visitor visa. Uh, or so we're like, hey, we are trying to follow your policy. Some businesses, not some businesses, most of the businesses that people are running from our country are family businesses that run for generations and generations. You know. Uh, uh, they are not going to be selling like one day to fund uh, or completely move all of their assets from Myanmar to Australia as well. And it's 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 a mess. Uh, sorry to be very negative, but that's how I have been seeing. It is even the article, the ABC article, says it's like a it's like you are trying to buy a lottery ticket. Uh, actually to come to Australia to visit and some of the case that we have some of the stories that we have uh, received from my friends I actually asked a few of my friends uh, to to pitch their story to the news is one of them is she had a wedding uh, at the start of this year at first she wanted to hold the wedding in uh, Hunter Valley and she actually paid for everything wedding oh my god so expensive um, right. Uh, book the venue and all that, and then they apply a visitor visa for 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 her parents, and then she provided everything like parents, family ties, business ties, social ties, culture ties, to Myanmar to show that they have a reason to go back, and also, um, and also like wedding receipt, uh, booking receipt, uh, and and like detailed itinerary of what her parents will do, but it got rejected uh, uh, and never consider any information 
the, the decision looks like they have they haven't considered any of the things that I just said to you, like ties and and receipts and all that, and they just straight away refuse it. And she had to change the uh, change the wedding to uh, Bangkok or uh, to somewhere in Thailand. I, I forgot where is it, but last minute she has to change it. And all the money that she had paid to the venue in Australia, like uh, it's it's not we are not talking about a couple of hundreds dollars hundred dollars. It's like three thousand, four thousand, or some sort. Sorry, I, I don't know the figures and details, but it's around there. It's 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 a life once in a lifetime event, and then she got being denied, and then uh, you know, um, and and we're not we're not even going there for those family those parents who would like to visit their uh, sons and daughters graduation come here to Australia on a graduation which they have actually paid a lot of money to the Australian government but they they were not able to enter Australia on two reasons one is their visa rejected or the uh, visa application take too long from the case officer that when they start processing the file the wedding uh, sorry the graduation date has already been passed and then they say, oh, we don't have a reason to give you a visa, you know. So, so yeah, these are the, a little bit of a, in terms of people who are, wants to come to Australia, uh, the current landscape is quite leading towards a negative side uh, uh, in, based on my experience. So, so a, couple, a couple of things from what you said have become clear to me. The first it seems to be the case that people who are residing in cities in, in Myanmar who are not currently in a conflict zone and have not become internally displaced are in a position where they have to apply for a tourist visa or a student visa or, or some other type of visa that is not directly connected to the fact that they are in desperate need of humanitarian relief and, and humanitarian resettlement. And the second, is that the entire immigration system, as far as students are concerned and tourists are concerned, seems to be predicated on the idea that coming to Australia should not be the first step towards becoming a permanent migrant to Australia. That everything is predicated on you coming for a period of time and then returning to your home country. Would that be an accurate description? Yes, that is an accurate uh, description, yeah. So then, is there any mechanism, is there any legal framework that people who are currently trapped in Myanmar but are not internally displaced persons can appeal to, to be resettled and to be taken into other countries like Australia so that they don't have to become internally displaced or have to become refugees? Do they have options? Yes, they do, but it's not a very straightforward process. Um... One of the examples is, one of the cohort is like students who come to study uh, while studying, gain work experience. Because after you finish the student visa, depending on what you study, let's say for example, if you study a diploma level, uh, the government will give you a 18 months post-study visa for you to be able to find an employer to gain work experience and all that. Uh, and then after that, what... That's diploma, let's say for example, if it is bachelor degree, you will get at least two years visa, postgraduate visa. If you are studying masters, three years at least, 
PhD five years and whatnot. Okay, so during that post study graduate visa duration, yeah, you can find employment. Uh, some people find a relation like they enter a relationship, they they become family, and then at that time they can explore a family visa program. You know, or or some like those people who find employment. Uh, depending on the work experience, they can also apply for skill independent permanent residency visa, which is like a point test visa. Uh, the, depending on how many points you gain, and uh, you had a better chance of getting invited from the Australian government to uh, settle here. Uh, uh, it's like a green card system thing in US, uh, and. And if you already have an employer, and then your your relationship with the employer is is uh, very good and amicable, then the employer can sponsor you so that you can continue working for them uh, in Australia for a certain number of years. And after that, they can also sponsor you on a permanent residency. That that's how people do it. So that's 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 one way. The other way is let's say for example. If you have already finished finish a degree in Myanmar, and also, or you have a, some work experience, you can also try a direct PR from Myanmar. But the chance of getting a direct permanent residency in Australia is very, very difficult, especially when you are talking about skill independent visa, where you you have to compete with Myanmar nationals who are in Australia. Myanmar national who are not in Myanmar but in other countries like Singapore who also want to come to Australia, and you're not just about it's not about just Myanmar. You're talking about other skilled candidates from around the world who wants to be invited by the government to settle down. So for those people who are in Myanmar, is the chance is quite low. Let's say point visa you. You are competing with a lot of different skilled people, and also number two is if you are outside of Australia, like if you apply for a job, since you are not outside of, since you are not in Australia, the job, no matter how skilled you are, right, um, uh, employer here wants to find an immediate solution to resolve the skilled labor shortages, and even if you apply for a work visa from Myanmar, it will take like. A few months to process by the government, so finding an employer itself is quite difficult. It's a huge challenge. Even if you find an employer, the processing time takes a while. The requirements are also quite high, so it's a little bit. It's difficult for people to just migrate purely out of, like coming straight out of Myanmar.、Uh, that's why a lot of people have been trying on a like a, for example. For those who just finished their studies, they just want to further their studies by masters and all that. That's 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 how I've been seeing. And there are a lot of also family visa program. The, the the family visa program got a lot of visa applicants as well. Like they like people meet online,、uh, and then they they、uh, yeah they they have a correspondence from Facebook or whatnot. Uh, and then they meet in the another country, third country, like Thailand or Singapore, or、uh, and then after that they get married, or you know they just apply for a partner visa, Australian partner visa, or 
like that that's family visas and in terms of family visas uh, there is also a parent visa a parent visa um, parent visa takes a while to process like a while as in takes a lot of like five years or six years for the government to process so like for example like me I want to bring my mom even though she does not want to come to Australia at all because she does not like the culture here because uh, she she because when I go to work she is always alone so or she doesn't like that much <laughs> so let's say if I want to bring my mom to Australia there I cannot apply for a permanent residency for her because uh, my family composition uh, my two brothers are not Australian citizen or permanent resident only I am the permanent resident here so I cannot so uh, that there are a lot of rules around there and then even if I can sponsor her to apply for a permanent residency then it will take some time for the government to process depending on how much money you pay to the government it's like very very expensive uh, uh, we're talking about 40,000 or something just to get a visa so that's parent visa for you and so what people are trying to do is trying to ask their parents to apply a temporary visa like visitor visa so that um, like like for example like my mom to come here on a visitor visa first to see whether she likes she likes it here or not it, because it, it all comes down to her as well right even though uh, we would like to uh, bring our family everybody to here but it all comes down to the subjective intention as well uh, try to uh, let her test out the water here whether she likes it or not after that we explore different other visas to continue to keep my family members legally with a, with a visa. Uh, yeah, so now even the first step, visitor visa is extremely difficult for 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 for, for people here, uh, for people from, from Myanmar nationals because government knows that maybe 80 to 90% of all the people that are coming here on a short visa like student or visitor has a definite intention to continue staying in Australia and they that's why I also understand where the government refusals are coming from okay but nevertheless does Australia not have any sort of obligate like does the international community not recognize any obligation towards people who live in countries that are undergoing strife, internal conflict, um, you know, instability in general. Like, do, do we have to wait until they become refugees before we take action? Can we not act before they become refugees? Oh, very good question. I, I would love the government to think like that. Uh, but in the very practical level, um, depending on the visa that you are applying, they have a set of rules that they have to follow, and and one of the one of the ingredients in the policy, let's say, example for example, oh, is this is applicable to all the temporary visas, uh, not the permanent visa, temporary visas. One thing that is in common is they will look at your country's profile, and if they see somewhere that the country is not in a good shape. They'll be like, oh, sorry, like temporary visa may not be the one. You know, like, like for example, like visitor and student. 
most of the refusal come from that. But so, but so that if anything, that seems to be contrary to logic. If if we're looking at a country where people have a desperate humanitarian need to escape that country, you're saying that the end result is that they're actually less likely to be granted any form of visa protection because they are more in need of visa protections. You can say like that, but one thing that I have also seen is one. But that's where the media attention and everything also comes into play. Very very good question because one, one the yeah one uh, one Myanmar coup happened in February twenty twenty one, right? Uh, we have our own uh, protests and all that, but media attention and government uh, response is not that great in our opinion, which I can go into a very detail later. But when I have to compare to like Ukraine or uh, Afghan, uh, uh, not quite. I, I, we are still waiting for how the government is going to respond to Gaza issue and all that. But uh, uh, from my experience, I would will, I will, I will like to focus on those two, Ukraine and even Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong, Ukraine and Afghan situation. Yeah, as soon as Hong Kong situation, conflict happened with China, and the Australian government made an announcement that, hey, we are going to uh, prioritize visa applications and from Hong Kong and from Australia. Doesn't matter where you are, we will prioritize for you. Uh, we will even give you like an automatic five years extension. Even if you don't ask, we will give you straight away. So they just automatically extend the visa for five years. So yeah, that's one thing that I have realized. And for Hong Kong and for Ukraine, yes, I understand it's, it's a I'm not saying that, you know, uh, people are not affected over there or anything. Like, I, I, I'm just saying in terms of the government response from Australia, like um, Ukraine as well, uh, Australian government actually allows visitor visa application and to be streamlined and prioritized. They can also apply for in, in-country refugee visa, like subclass 445. Uh, um, it, it, to, in order to apply for this 445, you cannot just apply it from, from yourself. You have to reach out to the government to apply for it. So these are the options that the government gives. There's like a temporary protection visa for Ukraine Ukrainians. Uh, even if you apply for work visa, uh, you are being uh, streamlined so that people can actually get out of the country as quickly as possible. Which is very new for us, uh, which never happened to our country. Um, Afghan also, when the Kabul falls to Taliban, uh, like a lot of even like legal centers in Australia, they actually set up like a mini clinic just for Afghanistan situation, and and that's where I volunteer. Where uh, we submitted like six hundred and seven hundred applications, and and quite quite a lot has been approved, and they also have to wait like one or two years for the rest. And for for the applications to go through, what I am trying to say is, the government response is very very different uh, uh, when it comes to Myanmar situation, and so like even for those people like like or I just say from Myanmar nationals getting rejection. If you go and look at the Burmese com- community forum in on Facebook, people have been complaining about this since coup happened. And and uh, 
Sia Tuan Shui and UGC RPH Group also spoke to uh, Australian government about this. They lobby a lot about this. Myanmar Network, Myanmar Campaign Network, MCNS also been talking about this, but the government response is has hasn't been that great, and and they don't really solve that issue of you know, hey, you know, like here the people that are coming here are actually showing the resources that they can to be able to meet the legal requirements that you have, you have, you have set up, you have put in the policy or law. They, they want to meet it and they are showing that they meet it. But then you are straight away refusing them from political ground that these people, that some of the people, are not everybody is also politically involved as well. They are just law-abiding citizens. They are just, yeah, they are just working on their own, you know, not being in conflict with anybody. They actually put in their statement and, you know, but never consider nothing, always very generalized. So, that's where I am. That's where I'm lost in terms of, uh, uh, you know, um, I I'm helping, but at the same time, end result is not not as I have expected. Uh, uh, for those people, I'm not very concerned with people who are currently in Australia. Uh, I'm really really concerned with people who wants to just leave um, Myanmar due to the situation. You know? And when also one other thing that I also want to highlight is when I was studying in 2012 to 2017, 2018, and, um, I have met with, I have met a lot of friends from Myanmar background because uh, we actually started at the Myanmar Student Association and there are a lot of my friends uh, who, who are very eager you know, to go back to Myanmar and they, they have no intention whatsoever to stay in Australia at all. Uh, and their main intention is just to go back and contribute to the Myanmar community of what they learn so that things are getting better, like economics and everything are all getting better uh, over there. Uh, so all, I'm, all I want to say is that like Australian government, not to just generalize it, you know, people... Even though I understand Australia is a very good place to stay, not a lot of people share this sentiment. And, um, um, you know, uh, and yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a reality. Uh, and I, I, feel the, I feel for my friends back home as well uh, because they actually reach out to me. Oh, you know, uh, at that time, we thought we have made a, a decision, you know, like, which we think is very good. But because of current... Government, uh, current junta, uh, the way they are running, they are also struggling a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, how to say, it's like a spider web. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's, that's where the things are. So, I mean, this is all, this is all quite depressing, but then let's move to a slightly more same case. So what about the people who are internally displaced in Myanmar? So they have not yet crossed the border. Mm-hmm. They are not internationally recognized as refugees. They cannot be recognized as refugees. But we have a lot of people in Myanmar who are living in IDP camps, who are subjected to regular attacks by the military despite this. Do they have a pathway to resettlement in Australia on the humanitarian ground? 
there's a pathway for it, uh, which I just mentioned uh, a 445 visa, but uh, I have never, I have seen other nationals like Afghan being granted with, uh, with this um, visa, uh, like, like emergency rescue type of visas. Uh, but maybe maybe other might other people in the legal community in Australia maybe may correct me on this, but I have I haven't seen one being approved uh, for people who are currently displaced internally. I in, in Myanmar. So the, four five is not for internally displaced people, really. So there's a temporary protection visas uh, like it's under the. Um, Subclass two hundred. Uh, so, so, so in Australia, all the visa have subclasses and classes. Uh, classes normally people don't use it, but subclasses are those numbers, three-digit numbers. And uh, for those people who are not in Australia, under the refugee cohort, uh, um, the 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 visas that you can apply are like offshore refugee visa uh, program, and under there. When you submit the visa application, you are applying every visa under that program, offshore refugee visa program. And then the case officer, when they are going to look at your profile, they will choose the category that you meet. For example, like uh, uh, emergency rescue is something that you can actually apply from Myanmar, from the country. But other visas like subclass 200, just a normal refugee visas, uh, the other, um, let's say, two two hundred women at risk visa, uh, like all these other visa and other offshore refugee visa, you have to be outside of the country in order to be able to apply. So that's how the government system works. And then, when to uh, in in to give your answer very to give you. Because I don't really have a statistics to back it up, because I have never seen anybody inside the country who doesn't matter whether they are internally displaced or not try this offshore refugee program. Uh, because I have never seen any approval from that category, even though there is a pathway to do it. The reason being that is, even if you meet the definition of a refugee as per the Migration Act 1958 and Migration Regulations 1994, even if you meet the definition of a refugee, there's also one other thing is, there are certain type of visas in Australia that are being kept. Being kept as in like, every financial year the government will announce that for the offshore refugee visa program, they are going to uh, bring in this amount of people. Okay, and at the moment, so sorry, not at the moment. Like every year, this the the amount that they have prescribed, like maybe three hundred thousand or something, uh, is designed for all refugee at any location around the world. It's not just in Myanmar or in you know, like you are sharing with other people. And then when I say about Ukraine and Afghan, they are also part of this cohort. So. Australian government, the, the, the way they make the decision is, oh, sorry, uh, even though we understand you meet the definition of a refugee, uh, our program size is quite limited. 
Uh, and this year we have already been running out of allocations. So we have to refuse it, unfortunately. You want to try it, try it again. But or you want to appeal no, to the make this clear. This number is, is set by the government, correct? Yes, yes, set by the Australian so, government. Yeah. This is this is not an act passed by parliament, it's not legislation, it's not constitutional. The government could change this number if it wanted to. Yes, they wanted to, yeah. So they've artificially imposed a limit on the number of people that they will accept, and then yeah. they're using that number that they themselves have made as an excuse to not help people who would otherwise qualify for humanitarian resettlement. That's one way to put it. Actually, they, for example, they have a right being, the law allows them to set the number, but in terms of how many they want to set, it's under their control. And then they are, uh, most of the refusal, not most of every decision letter that is come to me, all the refusal decision letter that come to me under this program, refugee visa program is always on the same ground that they refuse. So it just seems like an easy excuse for them to use to simply not accept people when they could very easily just raise the number of resettlements that they accept and then accept more people. Exactly, exactly. That's 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 why I've been um, speaking to a lot of people um, from our community that we and 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 a lot of people are also advocating for lobbying for a better like transparency from the government on where the, where where the number goes and and so far we have yet to see it so that's okay so that's that and and just on this point while, while we're discussing it it occurs to me if you're living in an IDP camp you you know you talk about the 200 series visa you talk about the 445 visa if you're living in an IDP camp, how are you expected to go through the actual administrative process? Like, can you do this by an application that you can fill out on your phone? Or do you physically have to transport yourself to Yangon and, and go to the embassy? What's the methodology? Oh, I have never seen that. People cannot just go to embassy because embassies, Australia embassy, everything is online at the moment. Um, normally people there are a lot of organizations here like government funded uh, legal centers like RECS Refugee Asylum Case Casework Society these RECS uh, a lot of legal centers and uh, I think in Brisbane there is one organization called RAILS IILS uh, they are also part of the refugee program as well you can actually reach out to them and to help you apply for these visas and normally how people do it is if you have a family member or if you have a friend here in Australia they can propose you they can endorse you to submit the uh, refugee visas uh, fill out the forms uh, online that, that's how people normally do it you can in a very very rare occasion you can apply it on paper but if you want to apply on paper, you have to go to embassy in Yangon. Uh, and during COVID, it is not really a good idea to go there because uh, embassy is usually closed. Um, and not quite sure about how it is at the moment because every other visas, we just have to submit it online. So that, that's how the 
in terms of procedures wise. Okay, so so you can, even if you are not located nearby to to Australian government representatives, you can still go through the process. You can still apply all like you can submit the documentation. Yes, 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 submit it. And and on that topic as well, like I have I have come across some people say like, oh, you know, even after we submit, we don't receive any acknowledgement letter. Sometimes the acknowledgement letter comes like three or four months after you have submitted the application. And that, hey, government say like, oh, we acknowledge you have applied for it. Please wait for a period of time. We'll get back to you if you need further information, if we need further information, etc., etc. Uh, even that, sometimes, I still remember uh, NUG in office in Australia uh, one time told me that, oh, we submitted these applications, but uh, when we contacted the embassy uh, or even Australian consulate in Bangkok or Department of Home Affairs, they cannot find it. <laughs> they cannot find where the applications are. So, so it's, so yeah, it's these things you have to expect as well because it's not online lodgement. So paper lodgement always have that issue. Oh, good God. So, okay. So if someone, let's say someone has actually crossed the border, let's say they're living, you know, near the Myanmar border in Thailand, let's say they're in Chiang Mai or something like this. Now they qualify as a, as a refugee in theory, and my understanding is they can now reach out and they can they can enlist the assistance of um, uh, the United Nations uh, High Commissioner for Refugees. Does that improve their chances of resettlement? It is. It is. Uh, if you have a uh, if you are recognized by the United Nations as a refugee, uh, you're an ACR as a refugee, then yes, uh, they are highly prioritized. So, just a little bit on that. The way how it works with the refugee category visa is it goes, it goes according to the priority list. So these subclass numbers that I just told you, like 200, 201, 203, 204, they are not that. They are there for priority reason as well. Let's say, for example, if you have a, if you are coming, if you are if you are a woman at risk. Two or four. You you will get a better chance of you you are being your applications will be prioritized compared to just a subclass two hundred visas where you do not have any family members support in Australia or friends support in Australia. That's that's one way to prioritize this. Another way to prioritize this is let's say um, you have a the, 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 let's say for example this is a couple right like a, a wife husband and wife and three children, uh, wife and two children, wife and three children got a refugee visa and they are currently in Australia. They want to bring the dad, uh, bring, bring the dad to Australia as well. And then at that time, because, because your family members come to Australia on the refugee visa, and you got, you are being assessed under what we call a split family member provision. And then you got more prioritized. So compared to, what your ties are, uh, who, so when you submit a refugee visa as well, there are two ways to submit it. One way is if you do not have any support from UNACR or, or you don't have any ties or in Australia who can propose you to apply for this visa, you just submit it on its own for the application and they are ranked as the lowest in the priority. 
you can still apply for it, but you are you have a grounds to meet the refugee, but you are being prioritized at the lowest. And for those people who have a family member or who just even have a friend or relative, can propose you to you could they can they have to submit a proposal form. I think it's six eighty one. Please don't call me on that, but that's the form there that they they have to propose, and then the visa application has to submit together with. That that's how you how you do it, and then depending on who propose you, who your proposer also affects the priority as well. Let's say in that case example that I gave to you, like they want to bring the dad to Australia. In those cases, they are being prioritized highly. But for example, if you just know a friend who is not holding, who never hold any protection visas or refugee visa in Australia, but they are just here. Uh, like an Australian citizen from from the beginning, from since birth, or they 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 become an Australian permanent resident from the skill visas. Uh, they are being ranked lower, so that's how the 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 program works in terms of offshore refugee visa. So it's still not great. So there are a lot of the different subcategories. So you're kind of saying that you have to hit a specific combination of additional yeah. factors. To, to really have a good chance. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. So, and it sounds to me like if, if you are a sort of elderly or if you are male, if you are not sort of family connected, your chances will be lower. That's correct. Okay. So that's, that's still not, not, um, still not great. Still not great. So like realistically, if someone is currently in Chiang Mai, and, okay. and I'm sure that we all, you know, know uh, people in the situation. They're in Chiang Mai applying for, you know, refugee protections. The Thai government is definitely not going to give them refugee protections. What sort of chances would they have to successfully be resettled to Australia? Oh. Usually uh, what, people, what people have been trying is from the offshore refugee visa program. And the chances... Maybe I, I, I'm more like, I'm not being negative or anything, or, but I'm just looking in terms of uh, statistical that, statistics that the Australian government has released to me. No, not the recent statistics, but last year, uh, only 33 applications out of, I don't know how many, might be more than a thousand, offshore refugee visa program has been approved by the Australian government. Uh, that's where I'm looking at then it tells you a lot about how offshore refugee visa works. Um, so that there, there are still those people that I just mentioned to you who has applied for submitted offshore refugee visa who are still waiting. Uh, I have to give them a little bit of, I have to give them hope because if you do not get a refusal decision straight, straight away you apply, because if they want to refuse you, they will, they will give you a refusal letter in maybe in two weeks or even a month's time. Just even coding, because Myanmar's situation is, especially people at Chiang Mai or Mesau, they are the one who has to flee. Nobody wants to flee, right? Uh, but they have to flee because of, of the reasons that are not under their control. So in those situations, they, of course, this is case by case, but first part of that refugee definition, they will definitely meet it. Okay, but it depends on person to person, but they will meet it. 
But the other part about relocation settlement program that Australia have in terms of allocation, that is where government love to, not love to, but they like to, the refusals rate are always from there. So let's say if they want to refuse you, they can just straight away refuse you in two weeks or two months time. That's very quick. But if your case already got an acknowledgement letter, the government says we will process, but still haven't got anything from the government, there's a little bit of hope in there because they're just, government just have a lot of cases for them to handle. So that's why they are taking their time. Uh, they actually do a triage and then they already, a, uh, they already get rid of those applications that they are not considered uh, very quickly. But now it's just a matter of time. They may uh, ask for you for more information or they will ask you to do health check or whatnot. So you have to wait for that. So and also uh, to answer your question very truthfully and honestly, uh, offshore refugee visa is the one that people love to apply for it. But the chances of getting there are very tough. We are looking at negative end of the spectrum, but there's still like two digits number that we have seen in um, getting approved last year. So there's still something the government still at least gave. So that's, that's, that's one, one visa option that I can think of. The other thing is, uh, yeah, the other thing is also, um, this is a very, very new program, pilot program that Australian government has announced. This is a kind of like a labor agreement. Uh, it's called a skilled refugee labor agreement. They are not part of the refugee visa cohort. So that allocations and everything is not applicable to skilled refugee labor agreement program. They have their own cohort, own allocation. But the thing is, for the other offshore refugee visa, you can just apply it on your own, even if you do not have any proposal or anything. Yeah, but, and, but this one is, because it's under the scale, so you need an Australian employer who has an interest to tap into this agreement program, and then they are the one who needs to uh, give you a job position and then and uh, show, the, show the government that they have active skilled labor needs, and then they want to, they have looked at your resume, and then, and then they, they are willing to help you, and they, are, they, they need you to come and work here in Australia. But skilled refugee visa, yeah, uh, I've done a lot for uh, Afghanistan uh, nationals and Syrian, uh, Palestine. I, I've, I've done a lot because uh, they, their community here is compared to Myanmar community. They have been here for a long time. So they're quite settled here. So they have their own businesses. Is, uh, their business, uh, these businesses want to help uh, their own kind from their country as well. So that's how they have been doing it. And that's what I am proposing to the uh, Myanmar community here as well. Uh, we, our community here is also getting bigger and bigger. Uh, a lot of people have been starting their own business and then giving back to community as well. So they might also want to consider that option because uh, skilled refugee, co uh, sorry, uh, refugee from Myanmar, uh, displaced people, uh, like a lot of them has a lot to offer uh, to 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 the country that they do uh, the country that help them or who is willing to help them, uh, you know. So they they have a lot of skills that are, uh, contribute back to uh, the community here as well. So that is where another 
options that people can explore, but nobody has touched it yet, which I am uh, advocating for people to try. Uh, that's skill refugee visa program. And the other thing is, let's say if you have a family member in Australia, like you have a partner or I'm not saying that that partner have to be an Australian citizen or permanent resident, but even if you if your partner is holding like a temporary visa, student visas, you can still apply for a dependent visa on that student visa as well. But depending on your family ties, there are also other family visa programs like partnership visa, or you know, even if you even even if you have a like if you are parents and if you if you are if you have children in Australia who are Australian citizen or PR, there's a parent visa option for you. Uh, and also the other thing is, uh, let's say if your parents are in Australia, uh, and and you are like maybe under twenty five years old, then you can you can also explore child visa as well. But depending on the visas that you are going from refugee visa program, like not refugee visa program, but the other visas, there's a re- relative cost to it, and the cost is not cheap, and people who are displaced. They, they 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 have to run you know they don't have all these financial support uh, that the government may consider should government should consider as well not everybody that uh, have all these finances to you know consider other visa options as well so so that but but these are the options that they have so because you talk about the community and, and I think you're you're very accurate in pointing out that the Myanmar community is quite sizable. I mean, the largest community would be Perth, but there are still sizable Myanmar communities cropping up in Sydney and Melbourne. Yep. And they've been expanding pretty consistently. Yep. Um, so is there is there sort of enough of a community that that there are Myanmar owned businesses that could start sort of engaging along these lines? Uh not so much yet, um, because it is also another thing that I want to talk about is uh, where people want to focus on. Um, a lot of community events in uh, Australia, Sydney, especially because I don't know about any other states. Uh, we have fundraising on Sunday, usually on Villawood, or there's like a specific special events like uh, Sean Tunnel talk is happening in two weeks or or how to say uh, the other events like The Way uh, Lin Lin and Chitu Way uh, their short film uh, uh, premiere premiere of that film or or, or Kupau movie all these events uh, we have a lot of events but every time these events were being held they are not they are held for one specific reason is to get enough funds to 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 transfer to to the to those people on the ground to help them with their mission so that's a very very that's that's the end goal that everybody has to everybody is fighting for everybody should be fighting for i agree with that but in terms of any other to get out of the people uh from borders and stuff uh not a lot of emphasis have been put in there so that's where i would like to i've been because because I'm, I'm also like a uh, a lawyer just practicing in a very private sector not in like i'm not a 
public government servant or anything. So I've been reaching out to people that I know, uh, and and because it's a lot of effort going into there as well. Like for example, like skilled refugee pilot program, the employer has to pay government a certain amount of money as well. That's why people are a little bit hesitant to touch on the program, and but. All I'm asking is to the community is at least give give it a try just with one case, and then see how it goes. And if it goes successfully, then the other things are going to be the other cases will flow like very naturally. But yeah, so not a lot of things have been put into there. And yeah, that that is something that we have to work on. Mm. And so. Talk, talking about the Australian context, um, just because I think this is a, a very pressing issue and I, I think a lot of people who'd be listening um, would be in a situation like this or would be, be familiar with people who are in situations like this. We have a lot of Myanmar people who are residing overseas, many residing here in Australia on a legal visa with a legal passport, but that passport expires uh, not not long now, like a Myanmar passport only lasts for five years and the coup was already two and a half years ago. So many are facing the, the situation where they cannot get a new visa because they don't have a passport or they just don't get a new visa and, and they, they're faced with the possibility of going back to Myanmar. So what is it that these people can do? Because for many of them, going back to Myanmar is not an option because they have been involved in rallies and, and raising money for CDM and PDF and all this sort of stuff. What, what can they do? Sorry. Uh, this is where the Australian we have to acknowledge how the how supportive Australian government is in that sense. Um, last year, Australian government um, Department of Home Affairs head of the Department of Home Affairs actually made an announcement that they are going to make sure they will prioritize people uh, from Myanmar in Australia. Uh, those those people in Myanmar from Myanmar in Australia who have difficulty returning to their home home country who cannot get a passport renewed because of their political involvement uh, they are actually they actually encourage people to get a get an asylum get a protection in in australia and and this protection visa is is um even though it is a permanent visa uh, let's say um if you want to go back to the country, of course, while on a protection visa and the country is, is um, our country is not getting better, uh, then if you go back, the, the protection visa is going to be cancelled. Uh, but of course, you know, nobody in the right mind who have very difficulty going back to the country will not be doing that. And, and, and protection visa is designed in a way that it captures the difficulties that our national our people are facing and number one is i would just encourage people not to be not to stay i really suggest people not to stay illegally in australia it will just further uh, complicate a lot of things in um, there are different ways to legalize your stay in australia uh, uh, if you would like to seek a protection or asylum that's one way to do it as well. Uh, and this will give you... Uh, while the department is processing it, the department's processing time also is very, very easy. Like it can take months to years. But during that time, you'll be giving a proper a bridging visa, uh, which will allow you to 
live in Australia lawfully, and most of the time it will also come with a full work rights and 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 uh, a, a pathway to study, and continue studying if you are still attending school or university. Yeah, so that's 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 very positive for people here who are very difficult, who have difficulty. Uh, their visa expiring. Uh, government does not actually give us like an automatic visa extension or anything, but at least they give us this venue, uh, uh, so that uh, uh, they they have one less one less thing to worry. And then also passport. Uh, if you apply for a protection visa in Australia, it doesn't matter whether you have a, a valid passport or not. Uh, and after you get the protection visas, uh, you can request the government to issue you with a what we call a travel document. And and uh, if you wish to travel to another country other than Myanmar, but you also need to at that time you have you have to check with the uh, um, authorities like in other countries that you wish to travel whether they accept Australian travel documents or not. But most of the time they do. But of course you have to make sure that you you have done your homework. Uh, uh, but that that's where the difference is. That's where a little bit of light, uh, uh, positive. Things are. Uh, that's why I can be positive. Like where everybody is positive is, government approach to Myanmar nationals in Australia is is very good. Uh, uh, not very good as in, it's good. Uh, um, and they have giving people options, and then uh, those people who are already being in who have already been granted with a protection visa. Uh, they are also contributing a lot to the government as well. Like I've got a few friends who are currently in, who have who have made an application to a refugee panel, uh, uh, refugee panel part part of those non, uh, government organizations so that they can contribute back to Australian community. Uh, of course, this is very different from people to people, but all I have been seeing because I have to do all the Burmese visa inquiry. Most of them actually come to me so I actually know a lot of people and their commun- uh, their contribution to the Australian community uh, they are very hardworking they're very diligent you know like they are not just staying in Australia you know or, or wanting to get a central link payment or anything they they are actually act- actively looking out for work uh, and and trying to trying to stay valid and trying to be useful so so and and on that as well that that's where things get a little bit complicated. So people in Australia, people who arrived to Australia from Myanmar or from another country on a visitor visa or student visa, uh, they're they're this type of group as well, of course. Um, but this is their right as well, and 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 they they have every right to do this. Uh, I'm not condemning or anything. They it is, it's their right, and and. I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. So these there are certain type of people who just who arrived to Australia and maybe in a month or two months' time they will also be seeking a asylum protection in Australia. Uh, of course things are really bad over the over there. So oh, uh, people will seek protection. What 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 effect does it make is it affects those people who will apply to enter who apply a temporary visa like new applications, it affects a lot because Australian government has all the records that says that, you know, or because most of the Burmese nationals in Australia turn into like, turn the application, turn the visa into 
uh, protection. They are trying to seek asylum. So, uh, we are trying to limit the people that are coming to coming to Australia. You know, like new applications. So that's that's where the dilemma is. But all I want to say to the Burmese, uh, so to the Australian community and government is, yeah, we are not. Just look at the statistics uh, at the government protection visa statistics. They have that. And then Burmese, the amount of people that apply for protection visa from Myanmar is is one of the top 10 at the moment, but they are always at the, like maybe at the ninth or eighth or 10, you know. It's not like any other countries like Malaysia. Or, or, no, no, I don't have anything negative to say to them as well, but... Uh, Myanmar is always the lowest. Uh, okay, it's the highest. Uh, it's, it's the uh, maybe in 10 highest or 9 highest, 8 highest, but it is not as many as other other other, national, other nationalities. People are always contributing as well, you know. Uh, uh, so uh, I can see the dilemma from the case officer point of view as well. If they give a permit to, for, for people to travel here, uh, they will just straight away apply for asylum in here. Uh, but at the same time, you cannot just assume this to everybody uh, who wants to come to Australia. So so there's a positive, but because of the pos- this positivity, there's also a bit of uh, reaction to it, to the topics that we just covered. Uh, so yes, that's, that's, that's where the things are. Okay. So, okay, so it's not all doom and gloom, which... Which is a nice thing, but I, th- I think on the whole, it, it is clear that the situation is bad, mm. and that people who desperately need um, assistance are not are not getting it. Do, so yes. you, you pointed to Afghanistan, you pointed to Ukraine, and, fa- and 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 presumably there will be a government response to to the Israel Palestine conflict as well, but we we don't know what direction that's going to go, but. The Ukrainians, Hong Kong, um, Afghanistan, you're, you're saying that they're getting uh, much easier access to, to protections from, from Australia than Myanmar is. But the situation is is severe. I think we can point to a couple of surface differences. Um, we can point to you know Ukraine being an actual invasion by a foreign country. But yeah. Afghanistan is an internal conflict. Hong Kong, for better or for worse, was an internal conflict. Why do you think there is this disparity in response when it comes to these cases versus Myanmar? Oh. I think this is... I can give you my opinion, but the thing is, it's a little bit outside of uh, my expertise as well. But the thing is, in my understanding is, I think Australia does have a lot of... This is what I think, yeah? Uh, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong as well, because I'm not very, uh, that uh, not very um, cover in sanctions and everything as well. There are some sanctions that government has imposed to Myanmar as well, but not that money. And even in our friend cycle, and even even not friend cycle, mutual friends, yeah, friend cycle, I have seen uh, some people from. I don't want to put names or anything, but I don't. I have seen some some from uh, crony families or or some uh, military uh, junta junta 
high level authority uh, sons and daughters studying in Australia as well without having any difficulties. So you can see that already where the government, like government fails to act anything to them. Even though I think there was like a lot of social punishment on those topics uh, um, uh, when the coup happened, but nothing has happened. And then also, this is just what I heard uh, is uh, they actually, there are a lot of some investment from the Myanmar Honda government to the Australian uh, government as well. I, I don't know. Oh, this is just pure rumor or anything, but uh, this is where, also where I heard. And then maybe uh, there's also one other thing is our country situation. Uh, it happened from time to time, the coup and everything. And, and so I'm not sure whether Australian government think this is just one of those episodes from in our country and, and not being, the care is not being given 100%. Oh, uh, we cannot just we cannot just be be talking negatively about Australian government as well. It's also about our community as well. That's where I want those people who are very active in our community in Australia. Uh, I want I would like them to just new just do more media coverage. You know, just, not just being holding our events and activities fundraising events or anything specific special events just internally for the Burmese community but just make sure that when these events are uh, happening you actually invite like, academics from the law school like Carol Dahl Center who is like very active in refugee law you know has a huge interest in in professionals who are, have a lot a lot a lot of interest in Myanmar conflicts media to come and invite them so that they can actually attend to those uh, meetings and events and then they can it's organic right so they can also oh, um, be a media outlet to make sure that Australian community becomes more aware aware of this because uh, Myanmar situation is just nobody is reading it because nothing is there uh, whenever we do something it's always private private as in like within our community only he, and it was not being reached out to any specific industries or authorities. You know that that's 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 um that's how I feel. So it's it's always two ways. Like of course you know like um, uh there are a lot of like CRPH group and NUG advocating for Australian government to do something about it in terms of Department of Foreign the DFAT. And, or this type of government authority, that is good. Uh, but dealing with government is, of course, it's not like uh, one or two days you will see a significant improvement or anything. But it's also like an extra like media outlet because government is shaped by the people and we have to target the people, maybe change the different approach so that when the public become aware of it, uh, then government has to do something about it, right? So that's where... I would like things to change. For me, it's about engagement and awareness. That's where I see is a little bit of lacking. Yeah. And so, you you talk about these groups, um, you know, the CRPH groups and, and various Myanmar groups that exist here, uh, and I think quite rightly. the The question is, do number one, 
do they have, in your opinion, the, a real chance to um, influence Australian government policies and decisions? And number two, and this, this is related to that, do you think the Australian government is suffering from simply, you know, apathy? Or is it that the Australian government is not, or at least the, the, depart, the border force who handles immigration, is not aware of how bad the situation is in, in Is it a lack of knowledge, perhaps? Oh, I don't think it is a lack of knowledge. It's, um, let's say if it is a pure lack of knowledge, then they won't be even giving us a priority for protection visas, asking individuals here to, uh, uh, hey, we are supporting for you. Like, um, you can apply for this. We are going to streamline it. If they do not have any knowledge or empathy or sympathy, they won't be doing it. And what I feel also is, is uh, Australia politics is also driven by other countries like US and UK. Correct, me. I may be wrong, but uh, if the big players are not doing anything, Australia also may not be doing anything as well. Uh, and in terms of like, for example, I've seen, um, let's say last uh, on the weekend um, in Kuji uh, on Saturday in Kuji and also on Sunday in Town Hall, uh, Circular Key, Winyard, these areas, there are a lot of protest protesters from um, Palestine um, uh, support group uh, about they're voicing it out. The, the medias are everywhere. The media is just everywhere over there. Uh, which was the case when we when the coup happened, uh, when the coup happened back in twenty twenty one February and March April, there are a lot of protests, protests, uh, Burmese protests. Some medias come and take notes of it. That's it. Uh, we are not like a front page news in any media outlet at all. Uh, so that is where I think improvement can be made. And, and and there 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 like there are a lot of uh, Australian professionals and academics who are very very uh, interested in their lifelong commitment to Burmese politics and economy. I've I've seen I have encountered a lot of them. I regularly seek their advice in terms of my immigration work, but they are like, oh, you know, I want to reach out. Uh, who should I reach out, you know? Uh, and then uh, I reach out to the uh, people who are running the show here, uh, uh, but not a lot of conversations develop from there. And then I feel like um, we are the one who should be reaching out to them, you know, uh, to to get their support as well, to, to see what they can do. Maybe our message is not getting across to the Department of Home Affairs or Defend or any government that we're dealing with, why maybe we can use these people, sorry, use a very strong word, but we can uh, we can get assistance from these individuals. They are more than willing to give, if, you know, um, to speak to them and see, generate a channel. Because, and, and also, of course, it, every, everything has to be worked together. It's not like they can just recommend you on the next day and then the next day you are connected to the Prime Minister or something. It's not like that, right? But it's, it's just different way of channels that you have to go. Uh, and and also, uh, going back to media coverage as well, like Australia will react according to how 
the media is portraying overseas as well. But in terms of our country situation, uh, not not a lot of media presence as well. That that's where things have to change. Uh, in my in my uh, limited knowledge, <laughs> is to 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 have a uh, better better um, more 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 things that the government can do. Uh, yes, government, Australian government uh, approach to our situation is lacking a bit, but lacking, not a bit, lacking, but we also from ourselves have to try different means. If it is not working, we have to keep trying, keep trying, and not just fundraising and that's it, you know. that That's why I want to say. Okay, that makes sense. So I think I think we've covered quite a, quite a few bases here. Um, and quite a few dimensions. None of it, I mean, very little of it is, is sort of uplifting, but there are at least some glimmers of hope and uh, and hopefully there's quite a bit of applicability to Myanmar yeah. communities uh, in other countries as well. I think I think you are quite right when you say that Australian politics is, is heavily driven by US politics and is heavily driven by UK politics and the sort of prevalent winds of the English-speaking world. But speaking of Australian um, politics, for, for those who are um, not based in Australia, who are not aware, um, the the Australian government that uh, that existed between 1996 and 2007, a conservative government uh, that implemented this many many policies towards refugees, which were quite uh, heavily criticised and very rightly so. Yeah. And these were continued under the Labour government that, that came to power between 2007 and 2013. Mm. Um, although they have had a better reputation, that they, they did continue these policies. And then the Conservative government came back into power from 2013. And, and a few years ago, they lost power. Have, have you perceived any measurable difference between the Liberal Party and the Labour Party as far as um, dealing with, with refugees is concerned? Oh... A lot of positive things are actually coming out from this current government. Um, for example, this skilled refugee pilot program that I mentioned to you about is never on the table with the previous government. That's one positive thing that we have seen. And then, uh, uh, so this is, might be a very not Burmese, just not Burmese related, but um, in immigration landscape in general. Um, a lot of positive changes that happened, like uh, uh, in the news last week, the high court decision about indefinite detention being scraped off. Uh, that's very, very important. Uh, and also the other thing is, and uh, let's say for example, if your visa, like let's say if you have a serious character issues in Australia, uh, like if you have been imprisoned for one year or so. Or you your visa can be automatically cancelled by the government, and then to get the visa back is an extremely difficult situation. And and, and now, uh, the government, the minister policy direction they say the direction has been changed, into the sense that if you have a ties, if you have a family ties in Australia, uh, they are going to uh, regard this as a pri- primary consideration. To give you your visa back, instead of deporting you to where you, whatever you come from. So that these are the 
I, I understand the government, Australian government, this current government is doing their best as well. Uh, and maybe there's also, of course, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm talking in a view that I, like, I want more things to happen for Myanmar because I'm from Myanmar because there's a subjective uh, push to it. But in terms of, for example, uh, uh, another person who doesn't have any ties to Myanmar looking at this very objectively, there are a lot of quite improvement, uh, there are improvement here and there. Uh, and and I, I cannot stress enough that um, the uh, Australian government um, official announcement about prioritizing Burmese uh, onshore protection visas, encouraging people to apply for it, uh, if you are having difficulties returning to your country because of your political belief and whatever you do in the country, this is also very. Uh, this is to to at least get there. I, I'm kudos to NUG office CRPH in Australia. They I I saw them. They have to go to different meetings with Defend and and a lot of different organization in order to get there. You know, so and. Even though they are positive, I think their their government also have to deal with a current global landscape. It's 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 it's, it's uh, interesting because you know like our our global politics climate has been a lot of issues recently, a lot of uh, a lot of things that government has to address. That I just want Burmese situation to be a topic. To for the government not to forget, while other urgent global uh, political crises are just happening from one thing after another, uh, simultaneously quite a lot. But I just want the Burmese topic to be there so that Australian government don't forget about us. I think that's a very sage position. And hopefully the Australian government will will change its attitudes. But as as you've alluded to, it yeah. requires uh, awareness raising. It requires engagement with media. It requires lobbying the government, yeah. and that can be very difficult and very slow. Yeah, definitely. Um, but nevertheless, I think I think we've covered a lot of information that that hopefully will be very useful to a lot of people listening, even if it's not particularly optimistic. And as we sort of come to the end of the interview, we, as we always do, I, I would like to just invite you to share some final thoughts with, with our listeners that they can consider as they go about their day or that they can talk to other people about just something to really leave them with um, and, to, and to summarize what we've been talking about here today. Okay. Yeah. Um, I understand whatever I have been uh, talking about most of the things that I've been talking about is is uh, quite negative, but the thing is, um, this that's a somehow the reality of what's what what the situation. But there's always a light in the tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, uh, having those issues, having those um, things that we need to address, issues that we that's very important because without that, we cannot do the good things right. So. So Burmese community in Australia as a whole need to work together, come together. Uh, old people, young people, everybody has to come together uh, to, to, to do something, uh, to continue to do something. Uh, I'm not saying like 
out of nowhere you have to do something i know everybody in their own profession and own own uh, interests and own skills have been doing on their own but it, uh, it will be very good if, if we can all unite uh, and do more uh, and, and during these difficult times as well because um, we are from buddhist we are from buddhist country uh, the teaching of the dharma we cannot be we cannot forget about that uh, even though I don't touch about it at all, uh, but uh, I've also just recently I've been in having a lot of personal here problems here and there. So uh, meditation and uh, our Buddhist teaching have been helping me a lot going through this. Not really a uh, 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 that level, very committed level uh, meditating meditator, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been going to meditation centers a lot, uh, uh, trying to practice at home uh, at least two, two times a week, three or, two or three times a week. And, and, and I just would like everybody who is listening to, to not, not forget about our Buddhist values as well. Uh, during these tough times, I think Buddhist practice, following this Buddhist practice, uh, um, not so consistently, but having this being mindful and is 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 will help a lot as well in terms of getting through these tough times. But yeah, in order to for the like for example, like we are we are right now what we are doing here is we are asking the Australian government to do something for us. In order to do something, in order to pitch them. Uh, in order to ask anybody to do something for us, we also have to do something. We also have to show them that what we can offer to them, uh, and and for that we have to work together uh, uh, to 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 uh, to reach to our end goal. But I think we will we'll get there somehow. Uh, but in order to do that, we have to be realistic about it, and uh, we we'll stay positive, positive manifestation. Even though the times are difficult, but let's do it together. Yeah, that's that's where uh, I would like to end up, end up with, like with the community here in Australia, in Sydney, for especially a, uh, to do more media presence um, and 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 actively engaging the government rather than just staying on ourselves privately, but. We are in Australia. We want to reach out to the Australian community and Australian government. We have to put a lot of emphasis on that and also try to engage with people who have a lot of knowledge and experience from Australian Australian community who have an interest in Myanmar, welcoming them to our community so that they can also help uh, in this uh, in this fight against the uh, military hunter. We want to take a moment to introduce you to our nonprofit Better Burma's online shop, which features handicrafts sourced from artisan communities scattered throughout Myanmar. Far from being mass-produced knockoffs, the pieces we offer are unique and handmade, reflecting the wide diversity of different peoples found throughout the country. When Myanmar experienced its transition period, moving from democracy in the late 2010s after decades of harsh military dictatorship, many Burmese craftspeople hoped their beautiful work could finally be appreciated beyond the country. When Myanmar experienced its transition period, moving towards democracy in the late 2010s after decades of harsh military dictatorship, 
Many Burmese craftspeople hoped their beautiful work could finally be appreciated beyond the country's borders. But sadly, this was not to be so. Following the military coup, many skilled artisans suddenly found all possibility of continuing their livelihood closed off and began struggling just to feed their families. With this in mind, we prioritize working with artisans from disadvantaged and vulnerable backgrounds because we know just how hard it can be to survive at the margins of society in Myanmar. This includes such people as those with disabilities, mothers who have contracted HIV-AIDS, civil servants on CDM, ethnic and religious minorities, and more. To view these wonderful pieces, please visit alokacrafts.com. That's aloka, A-L-O-K-A, crafts, C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Otherwise, please consider a donation through our usual channels. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the Purchasing of Protective Equipment and Medical Supplies, COVID Relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's betterburma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah,